chapter 4, if you're using the Black Bibles, it's page 965. And while you turn there, I'll say I'm Kenneth, I'm one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you. I'm going to read this, pray, and then we'll dive into our studies for this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 on 965. But we have these treasures in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believe and so I spoke, we also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence, for it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, these words are really weighty. These words are, frankly, something that are still shaping and impressing and on me and changing me to be someone who lives not for myself, but for the sake of knowing you by sharing in your sufferings, by bringing this kingdom into this world. Or when you call a person to yourself, you call them to life and life to the full, but... It doesn't look like by us going out and doing whatever we want and all of a sudden being in effortless ease, but rather it looks like you bid a person come and die and find where life truly is by fellowshipping with you in your sufferings, by fellowshipping with you in building your kingdom, by pouring ourselves out not for our own comfort, our own ability to control our lives, our own building up of 401ks, but rather pour ourselves out for the, of another, for other people. And Lord, I admit, I am still letting go of things that I'm trying to hold on to and try to hold on to my own life. And I know that a lot of us here, we find ourselves with everything trying to hold a death grip, a death grip onto our lives. But Lord, you say that those who try to hold on to their lives are going to lose it anyway. But those who give up their lives for the sake of you and your gospel will save it. So Lord, bring these truths out. These are really weighty. They're really hard to explain. 
I've been wrestling with them really hard this week, and I just fear that Lord, they're not going to be able to come out in a way. And the truth is, is, I can't bring them to life. Your spirit has to do that. And so your spirit move right now in this room and give us a spirit that is understanding the difficult but life-giving call of pouring out ourselves for that of others. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, so we've been in a series, um, which is really looking at our church and looking at what it is to be the church, because there's so much in our culture that designs us to come, as we've said, just come here to experience songs and teaching and, you know, things on a Sunday morning, have somebody just like take the kids off of my hand for an hour and a half, and I can then get coffee and go out into my life, and that's church, but that's just not what we see in the scriptures. It's just not what we've been called to. And so we've said, hey, we want it to be, I mean, I heard a pastor give this analogy, and I thought this was so what I want to see, a, a church where it's not a room full of consumers and customers. I don't know if you've ever waited tables. I think I have I've waited tables. Everyone should have to wait tables for their sanctification in the gospel. And I waited tables for a short season at Applebee's. They were eating good in the neighborhood, and I was serving it up. And... There's times where uh, uh, there's a phrase when you wait tables called getting in the weeds. And getting in the weeds is basically when you get behind on everything. Orders are stacking up. Demands are coming. You cannot shovel out further than or faster than it keeps pushing back into you. And so there's a sense where if you see another server in the weed, you're supposed to step in and help them get back into a manageable place that they are actually able to serve all their tables well do that even at the expense of doing of for yourself and this per, this image that they were given is just like man i want to see i want to go to a church where it's not just a few people running around hectically trying to get people out of the weeds rather i want to be in a church where everyone comes in not to serve not to be served but to serve who looks around the room and says, man, how can I love people? How can I know people? How can I extend myself to get to know someone? Man, they don't look like they know anyone. I want to get to know them. I want to invite them into community. I want to pray for them. I, I, I want to sacrifice for them over time. And so we all come here looking to do that. We all come here looking to grow in unity, not by just all enjoying time together, but all pouring ourselves out for each other. And so... Yeah, this is what the series has been. We've been talking about just what does it look like to do that? What are the tools we need? In the first week, we talked about prayerful ministry. That to really care for people well, we need to be praying for each other well. Because, uh, man, this week, I was just struggling with, I, I, it's, it's been a, just an anxious season for me for whatever reason. And I was talking with one of our other pastors of the church, and I was talking about, man, I just feel anxious, my mind feels fuzzy. And he just said, man, I, if you are like looking for fresh, clear vision for your people, then why are you not doubling down in prayer? Because it's simply by you praying and God revealing to you what he's doing and you coming to him regularly in prayer like, God, you move this vision forward that is actually going to move the needle. And man, so he, just, he was just saying like, just take tomorrow and spend huge amounts of times in prayer. And I did. And man, there's been ways that God has been showing up crazy this week because of prayer. And it's just continually to renew my affection and my desire to see us become a people that are moving the needle by praying for each other. And so that was the first week. And then last week we talked about obedient ministry. We talked about exampling obedience before Christ, that there's everything in us that wants to be our own gods, but God calls us to submit to his will 
And so we look at scriptures and we look to change ourselves by them. And we talk about Joshua, who's marked all over in the scriptures as being a man who faithfully did everything that God commanded him to do. And the people of Israel, who were notoriously a faithless people all throughout the scriptures under the leadership of Joshua, is faithful to God, it says at the end of the book of Joshua, for all of Joshua's life and all the leaders that came after him. And I just thought, man, what would I not give? What would we not give to be a people who could say we are faithful to all that God has commanded us in our life? times and the lifetimes of those who come after us in this church. I mean, I, if God would give this church that long, praise God. And if he would give us faithfulness like that, what could we not do to shape ourselves in the image of Jesus and to change this city for the sake of the kingdom of God? And so this week, we want to just talk about if, if we need to be prayerfully and humbly asking for God to give us a vision, praying for him to do the uh, work of, of changing people in our community. And then as we get that vision and we need to be obedient to step out into it, then this week I want to talk about the tool of passionate ministry. And to do so, we have to redefine passion as it's defined in our culture because we get it way off. In fact, I read an article this week um, in The Atlantic, and there's actually a number of articles that are just kind of circula circulating around this idea of why telling people to follow their passions is lousy advice. And essentially what they say is that there, since the 1990, in English writing, the term follow your passion has increased ninefold. Like we're exploding this idea of people like just trying to figure out whether they be in college. If you're a college student, a lot of people are moving into college and are moving into, yeah, just uh, for, uh, for a school year. Or if you're in your 20s or maybe you're just angsty about your career in your 30s or 40s, you sit there and try to like figure out, okay, what is my passion? Because if I can just as we're told, find what I'm really passionate about, then I'll never work a day in my life. But here's why that, let me bust that bubble for you hard. That does not exist. It is not a thing for you to have an unlimited amount of motivation just because you love something. In fact, this article was all about how they're now putting studies to the fact that people who just think, man, if I just find what I'm just made to do, and I just pour over self-awareness profiles and matchmaking things of you and your perfect career, or just like pour over nonprofit mission statements and just say, is this what I'm meant to give myself out to? That when it gets hard, those people bail. But people who understand that it's not meant to be this just effortless, oh, I'm just motivated by love for something, but discipline themselves to a career, to discipline themselves to actually forming themselves into a passion, that those people actually find themselves passionate about their work. Not because, oh, it just was naturally coming out from within me, but rather it's something that's just, I form myself over years into actually becoming passionate about what I do. And these social scientists are actually prophetically realigning ourselves to what passion actually is. The root of the word passion means to suffer. That's why we talk about the passion of the Christ. The passion of the Christ does not mean that Jesus had an unlimited motivation to suffer for everything in this world, though I guess he does. But rather it means that he was willing to suffer for that which he loved. And we need to put this before ourselves this morning because all acts of loving people, all desires to disciple people, 
all desires to do ministry, to care for one another, to be in community, will bring a cost. To love another is to sacrifice. Just consider anyone who has loved you. Anyone who you have felt loved by. At some point, you saw them giving up for you and sacrificing for you. The deepest friendships you've had are people who have your back no matter what. They are people that take on your problems and your burdens as if they were their own. Not thinking about their own sake, their own flourishing, but thinking solely of yours. When you step into marriage, there's always that phrase of once you get out of the honeymoon phase. Because once you get out of the honeymoon phase, you learn that it is a lifetime of laying down what you desire, what you want, what you need for the sake of another. Or for those of you in the room who've had a child, holy cow. I remember, like, when my wife was pregnant with our first, it's like, oh, awesome, man, we found it. Like, you know, like, the last fear I had in life was just that we wouldn't be able to have children, and now forever we're just, like, set. And then you have a kid, and it is exhaustingly difficult. I mean, the first thing they do, you come home, you feed them around the clock, all hours of the night, keeping them alive. And then they start just throwing up all throughout the night. And you're getting up, and you're washing things out, and you're keeping them safe. And then you're disciplining them. As they fight you and spit in your face, you're trying to say, hey, I want more for you. I want you to know what it is to have life and have it to the full, so I won't let you be disobedient. And then you start spending money out on them. It, on average, the average person will pay a quarter of a million dollars per child to raise them. Your parents paid a quarter of a million dollars on you. And then you start giving and pushing out and just desiring to love them. And then several of them just key in on all your weaknesses and how you failed them. But to love someone is to give sacrificially for them. Here is my goal this morning. And I've got to be quick about it and I will be. My goal is to call all of you to embrace a life of suffering for the sake of knowing Christ and his gospel going forward, for the sake of loving other people, for the sake of being transformative in other people's lives. All love is sacrifice. If we're going to be a church who is a part of transforming stories, then it's going to be, bring about a great deal of suffering in our lives. And just simply, I, I just want to lay out three ways that the Bible's really clear that we're going to suffer in all ways, and, and just desiring to love people, to care for people, to do the work of ministry. First is persecution. Persecution is clear throughout the scriptures. You see it in this text in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You see right off where it says, and uh, Paul says in verse 7, But we have this treasure in jars of clay. We show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, what Paul is talking about is this idea that runs all throughout the scriptures. 
I mean, repeatedly we say that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Or it says, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus says, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. In 1 Peter, he says, hey, don't be surprised by the fiery ordeal of trial that comes upon you as though something strange is happening to you. And the Bible says, let no one be moved by these afflictions. You yourself know that we are destined for this. And many are the afflictions of the righteous. All throughout the scriptures, it gets this idea, hey, to follow the way of Jesus is to be at odds with this world. And so one of the ways that just as we step into doing the work of ministry that we are going to find ourselves experiencing some level of persecution or some level of suffering is just by being persecuted by those who do not want the kingdom of God to come. I'm not talking about being obnoxious and therefore well-deserving to be maligned. That's very true of the Christian world. But I am talking about that just simply desiring to put Jesus in front of others, desiring to call people to repentance, to call people to a message that they are desperately broken and sick and are in need of a Savior, is going to bring suffering and persecution in your life. I know for a lot of us, we're like, I don't experience a lot of persecution. It's because, if I'm honest, I can't get myself over loving myself to love another in order to be so concerned that they know about Jesus that I don't care if they don't like it. I don't care if I get passed over for promotions at work because I'm just seen as just a little bit too weird and religious. I don't care about the fact that some people are just not going to like that. Again, not being cruel, not being obnoxious, but lovingly looking at people and saying, hey, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to see that you're broken and you need a Savior. In some people, that's going to be the breath of life. In some people, that's going to be the stench of death. I'm prayerfully trying to be that with my neighbors. I'm trying to regularly pray over my neighbors and say, God, give me a heart that loves them so much. I love them more than I love their opinion about me. I love them more than I love not being awkward. I love them more than any sense of me trying to hold on to a relationship with them that doesn't touch into the reality of knowing Jesus. And so that's one way, but also beyond that, beyond persecution, you experience pain and suffering by ministering to others because you weave yourself into the fabric of brokenness in people's lives, and that is always going to hurt. Bearing another person's burdens is just that. It is a burden. There's a lot of books that have come out recently. Um, I mean, I say recently. It's probably been 10, maybe 15 years now. Um, on charity, called things like Toxic Charity or When Helping Hurts. Great books. And they, they talk about, there's a lot of people who seek to do charity. But the problem is, is they just kind of come in and they toss money at a problem and they don't seek to, they seek to kind of like draw some line between them and who they're trying to help. But here's the problem. When you really love someone, 
there is no lie. Because I love my children, I will give them anything. I will seek to do anything. I will seek to love in any way I possibly can. And if you seek to love other people like you are made to do, you will constantly try to find yourself erecting lines where like, man, I just got to keep myself and, and, and have boundaries. I mean, we're all in this world talking about boundaries. How do I have healthy boundaries for myself? I'm not saying that's a, a bad conversation. I'm just saying I want to be so about loving people that I'm constantly pushing beyond boundaries to love them. I mean, I talk to people who regularly brought people into their homes to disciple them brought people into their lives or, or given their entire lives to, saw, uh, to, to pressing into poverty. I mean, you have to do that for five seconds before you experience some level of suffering. Pressing into needs. You don't even have to press into poverty to get there. If you just start pressing into lives in your missional community, you start really getting involved with people. You are going to unearth fears and anxieties doubts and sins. You're going to unearth so many needs. Because here's the true thing about all of us. We have so many needs in us that we're not willing to share with anyone because we don't want to be a burden to others. And when you show up and actually show that you're willing to sacrifice and suffer for someone, and they start opening up that Pandora's box of needs and doubts and fears and oppression, it will take time. It'll take resources. It'll take emotional strain. It'll take sleepless nights praying for people, of being awoken in the middle of the night and getting on your knees because you want them to experience life, because you want them to hold on to truth. Loving people will always bring a cost. I'm putting before you an opportunity to examine, examine and embracing that cost. You see it, the idea of, of just people pushing beyond lines actually in Second Corinthians, but if you flip the page to 967 in chapter 8, the whole book of 2 Corinthians is basically Paul talking about the strain and the pain of loving people. And he examples it in chapter 8 when he says this. He says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that was given among churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means. He's talking about this church that... that when they heard about suffering that was happening in another church, another part of the world, in Jerusalem specifically, they started giving, uh, they started giving generously. So he said, uh, they, for they gave according to their means, verse 3, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, w not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has, uh, as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. 
Paul talks about this church that hears about needs, that hears about another group of people and another part of the church that's suffering, and they beg Paul, will you take more of our money to care for them? Will you take not only what we can afford, but far more than we can afford? Because there was something that says that, Paul says that there was such a grace that was stirred up in them that they wanted to give more than they felt they could give, that they joyfully gave of themselves to meet the needs of others, that they sacrificially poured themselves out to love others. I mean, I I just want to be a part of something like that. I want to be so moved by the gospel that I am just begging people to allow me to give more to them. I'm begging people to just know, say, I I, I know I I look really anxious and strung out right now, but really, I want to give more to you. I want to give beyond my means of energy. I want to be a part of that. And I admit, I also don't want to be a part of it. There's part of me that wants to hold on to my life. But anyone who seeks to hold on to their life will lose it. And those who give up their life for the sake of Christ and the gospel will save it. The last way that we'll suffer is in spiritual warfare. We don't talk about it a ton. But there is another realm to the world that we live in. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, you guys believe in like demonic realms? Absolutely I do. And the thing is, is when you start loving people and caring for them and sacrificing for them, I mean, when people see you sacrifice for them, that actually does so much to start reworking their heart and opening up their eyes to the gospel. I mean, for all these people, you know, for everyone is just like, man, I just don't find people very open when I talk about the gospel. You start sacrificing for people, they will be extremely open to whatever you believe in that allows you to do that. But you start doing that, and you start playing with kingdom realities, and the demonic realm gets really stirred up on your behalf. I talk to a lot of you that are experiencing a lot of anxieties and fears, and a lot of depression right now. And there's all sorts of realities to that. There's, there's chemical realities. There's, there's family of origin realities. But I talk to a lot of you and hear about what you are doing for the sake of others. And I think, well, if, no wonder you're experiencing anxiety and depression. You are kicking hornet's nests in the demonic realm when you start loving people and bringing them into the kingdom of God. And there will be a reaction. Satan, who is, until the cross, had a death grip of control over this world because of sin and death, and now, after the cross, has no power, but yet is trying to grip onto anything, he does not go out lightly. If you start loving and serving and caring for people, you will find yourself to be a target. I mean, there's been seasons, pastor's life, and I think about a season right now, like, where I, we've just been talking amongst his pastors, and almost all of it, I talked about, I mentioned earlier, I've been in a really anxious season right now. 
almost all of our pastors at Selma Church across all our congregations, we're the downtown congregation, we have a midtown congregation, northwest congregation, are experiencing anxiety, are experiencing, one of our pastors was experiencing stroke-like symptoms due to stress. Another one was experiencing severe weight fluctuations because of the amount of time that he's giving to both his family's work and his ministry. And when that, that starts happening, we start looking around like, man, we must really be on the precipice of kicking over some things for the kingdom of God. Because there is something really pushing back against all of us right now. That will happen. So, as I invite you into this, which I know up to this point you're like, this has been a really lousy invitation. There's nothing about what you've said that sounds attractive. And Jesus is going to say, hey, I want you to count the cost. When you come into my kingdom, I'm calling you to come lay down your life. I'm calling you think about it before you just start building the tower, he says. Because you want, you want to make sure you have the ability to go all in. So let me allow you to just count the cost by showing you the cost of not choosing it. Because if you think about the alternative of me just pursuing a nice, quiet existence where all of my resources go towards myself and I spend it to consume and to go around and just rating restaurants on which one's the best in my mind or just to like have this some standard of living when I hit my 40s or 50s or 60s or 70s or whatever line I have. If I just desire to entertain myself for the rest of my life, to take my mind off of the fact that I feel like I'm called for something more than that. I feel like there's something just calling me to give of myself for something bigger than me. It's why we find ourselves pouring ourselves into movies and to TV narratives. Because they all talk about people who are sacrificing themselves for some greater good. And there's something that leaps in our chest when we see that that says, I want to be a part of something like that. And that point we have the choice. Either keep pushing into just more of those stories or actually start being a part of our own story in that. A quote from the book Death by Living by Indy Wilson says this. He says, lay down your life. Your heartbeats cannot be hoarded. Your reservoir of breaths are draining away. You have hands. Blister them while you can. You have bones. Make them strain. They can carry nothing in the grave. You have lungs. Let them spill with laughter. With an average life expectancy of 78.2 years in the U.S., subtracting eight hours a day for sleep, I, the author, has about 250,000 uh, conscious hours remaining in him. And I could be smiling or scowling, rejoicing my life in this race and the story, or moaning and complaining about my troubles. I can be giving my fingers, my back, my mind, my words, my breaths, my wife, to my wife and my children and my neighbors, or I can grasp after the vapor and the vanity for myself, dragging my free feet, afraid to die, and therefore afraid to live. But like all people, I will still die in the end. He's calling us to a reality of you can try to hold on to life and just get by and be comfortable, but in the end, you're still going to die. Or you can pour yourself out. 
And there's something that calls to each one of you, I'm guessing right now, that says, I was made for that. And then the, in this too, we're not just, it's like, I'm made for that, I'm meant to love others, that that's true. I'm also made to pour myself out because in doing that, I actually experience God in the ways that I was meant to do. Look at 16, flipping back to 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 16 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, but the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He talks about this idea of like, hey, like outwardly, for the sake of other people, I'm being persecuted, I'm pouring myself out, I'm bearing burdens, I'm exhausted, but inside there's something that's being renewed day by day. In the first chapter of 2 uh, Corinthians, he talks about receiving the comfort of God. And that comfort of God is because when you actually sacrifice, you actually experience God in ways that you will never experience Him without giving of yourself. Because God... This is really mysterious. Hold on. Let me just give you one of the mysteries of the Bible that I'm just trying to wrap my head around this week. Before the foundation of the world, Jesus was slain for all sin. To know God is to experience all who he is. All that we experience in life is God experience first. And that's even tough to say the word experience because God doesn't experience it. Like outside of time, he experienced all good, all joy, all peace, all things. And so when we experience that, we experience him, all beauty, all truth. But also there is truths about God that he is eternally a sacrificial loving God. He is eternally a redeemer. He's eternally a savior. And so even before us, before sin, there's something before time existed that God sacrificed of himself, that he has been experiencing some level of suffering in all of his eternal existence. And he invites us to experience him by experiencing goodness, beauty, truth, yes. And also, there's something about when we experiencing suffering that he's inviting us to know him. The book of John says eternal life is this, to know God. And not just know like things about him, like to have an experiential reality of him. And he says, hey, there's things that you can experience by knowing my goodness and truth and beauty, but there's things you'll only know about me when you start sacrificing and pouring yourself out for others. There's ways of becoming intimately close to me that you cannot experience without sacrificing and pouring yourself out for others in that kingdom. And so I invite you into something that not only I believe on some level you feel stirred up and called for, but something that you will actually experience God more fully. And some of you are like, I, I don't know if I want to experience God more fully. Well, then continue to experience what this life has to offer. Experience the trivial things that we have, the trivial fleeting pleasures. But I look at Paul, and I look at other people who I've seen pour out their, their, their lives for the kingdom, and there's something so compelling about them. 
I mean, they, yes, they're in pain. Yes, they're struggling. Yes, they're persecuted. Yes, they find themselves regularly exhausted and anxious and all these things for the sake of other people. But they also are rejoicing like no person I've ever seen. They also seem more alive than anybody I've ever seen before. And as I said before, I, I want that. There's something about me that wants to continue to try to press and bounce out of all the boundaries I've created in my life to not just have my personal time at the end of the day, but to pour myself out for others. To sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom coming in. To experience persecution or, or bearing burdens or spiritual warfare or whatever might come over me for the sake of being a part of transforming people's lives. And there's a part of me that not only feels called to that, but will experience Christ more fully. Because ultimately it was Christ who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, so that we all might be seated in the throne room of God. You know the reason this all calls to us? is because we were created by a God who longs to pour himself out for his people that he's made. For those who have rebelled against him and pushed away from him and spat in his face, he desires to pour himself out so that we might become children of God. And so there's something that just longs to, like, when that happens to us, it just has to spill out of us. Man, I have been redeemed by a God who loved me when I was running for him, running from him, and so now I long to step into people's lives and to take on their burdens, to take on their emotional pain, to take on their lack of resources to take on things and be a part of sacrificing for them. This is a really all over the place sermon and I get that. I'm wrestling with this myself. But if we want to be a church where all of us come together, not just to consume, but to fight for each other, to love each other, to care for each other, to care for the world around us, then yeah, we need to be prayerful. Yeah, we need to be stepping into obedience in the way that God has for us. And we need to be willing to suffer. We need to be willing to pay the cost of loving people. And as we hold on to this weighty call. And we do like all the people in scripture have done, looking not to our lives right now, but looking onto a future glorious reality when, when Christ is going to wipe away every tear. When all sad things are going to be made untrue. When everything that we sacrifice, God says, hey, you're going to be paid a hundredfold for it. Everything that you pour out, man, you wait, man, you step into my kingdom. Don't get stuck in right now. Don't get stuck in, man, I just want to feel comfortable right now. I want to be in peace right now. Man, when you pour yourself out, and then when my kingdom comes, and when all of this is pushed away, you are going to experience the joy of the kingdom like no other. And you're going to be with people that you transformatively loved and are now in the kingdom because you gave yourself for them. And that's the church I want to be a part of. That's the stories I want to tell. That's what I want to be wrestling with. I want to have our minds so fixed on what is to come 
that we are willing to, like the people in Hebrews, joyfully give away our possessions for the sake of others knowing Christ, for the sake of his kingdom coming, for the sake of loving, ministering, and pursuing others. And so if you're holding on to that hope right now, then I invite you to come and take communion. Communion is our weekly, regular reminder of Christ who gave up, who would not stop at giving anything, even his own life, to the sake of redeeming his people. And so I invite you, if you are a Christian, if you believe these things, if you are on some level just wrestling with how to pour yourself out more, come and take of the bread and the cup that represents the sacrifice that has been poured out for all people. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, then don't feel obligated. Don't come and take this. Because that's what this is. This is people that have been brought to life by someone who sacrificially loved us and have now been empowered with his spirit and this desire to sacrificially love others. And so in a moment, when you're ready, come and take of the elements and we pray for us. Father God, Lord, I admit, Lord, so much of my words I feel like are getting caught up in my throat and in the study and in your word. But Lord, let your word penetrate even in the midst of me trying to communicate this at a level of clarity and allow it to move in people's hearts. Lord, allow it to move in my heart that we would be people that would desire to lay down our lives for one another. That we would be people that would not try to hold on to our own sense of comfort, our own sense of pleasure, our own sense of control. But we would be ones who would be seeking the life of others, seeking the kingdom seeking to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings, as Paul says. Lord, you have to do that work. Only the Spirit can transform us into life-giving people by those who take on the death of this world like you took on for us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.